Hello there, my name's Gordon. I've got the pleasure of leading Hope Church Sittingbourne. Uh, this recording is uh, one that I've done after our Sunday because I forgot to record it at the time, but felt like it was important to have this teaching up on the website. Um, and so I'm recording this on my own in a bedroom. So if you can't hear any background noise or participation, that's why. Um, and hopefully the, the gist of what was communicated on Sunday morning at Costa will be communicated through this recording. And so we're going through a teaching series at the moment called Disciples, and um, that series was actually meant to be eight different sessions. And what we've done is we've actually added in another session. I felt like um, one of the things that can often happen, you see it happening a lot in churches, but also just in other organizations as well, is where something is assumed um, by one generation. So they assume something. Um, actually what happens within a generation or two that assumption gets lost um, and so it could be that we assume people will get what it is to be a community that is full of the Holy Spirit and we assume it as parents um, and, and our children kind of pick it up by osmosis by being in and around our family but they don't entrust it to their children and within a generation or two actually that practice um, the assumption is gone. It's been lost. That which has been hard fought for gets lost. And so one of the things in our sort of series on disciples, we're, we've looked at what it is to be dependent on the Father, to be led by the Spirit, to be fueled by prayer, to be focused on the kingdom, to embody Jesus in, in an incarnational life to the world around us. We've looked at what it is last week to live in community, life on life with one another, that it's not just all about us and God, but it's actually about us outworking our faith life on life iron sharpening iron within community not in isolation and the thing that I didn't want us to assume which when I look through the eight sessions that we've made for this series is actually the one thing that we could assume which we definitely don't want to lose is that disciples are people who follow Jesus and so this week that's what we're going to look at we're going to look at what it is to follow Jesus um, the way we're going to do that is using three different images. I want you just to think of three different images. Um, the first one is the image of a head. The next one is an image of a heart. And the next one, the final one, is an image of some hands. And when we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see on every level he's engaging people's heads, what they know, what they understand, what they believe to be true. He's engaging people on a heart level in that he's getting them caught up and envisioned in who they are to be as part of his family. He's inspiring them. It's not just an intellectual exercise or an academic thing, but he's catching their heart and their soul and their emotions up in something that there's a greater way to live. There's a greater reality to give your life to. Um, and then the last image, that of the hands, is that he's actually calling people not just to believe in something, not just to understand something, but actually to, to be his hands and his feet. It says that in the Bible, that we're the hands and feet of Jesus, and that actually that we're to put our hands to things, that we're to live out the life of Christ in our day and age, and that actually as we engage all three of those, our head, our heart, and our hands, that's where proper change and transformation happens. And so just to illustrate this, I want you to think of the image of a gardener. Um, some of you will know our family, we've got an allotment. And so I understand what it is to be a, a gardener. I understand if you put a seed in the ground, you water it, some stuff happens. Things start to grow, things start to come up. Now that's probably the extent of my head knowledge. I don't know a lot about gardening, but I tell you what, my heart's really engaged in it. I really believe we should have an allotment. I really think that it's great that we've got an allotment. I think it's great that my wife and my children go to the allotment um, but I've, I've, I myself I haven't put my hands to the allotment so 
Uh, my head's engaged to some degree, to a small degree. My heart's really engaged because I believe in eating the produce that comes off the land. Um, but my hands, they've not actually got involved. The extent to which I've got involved in gardening our allotment will probably be going down with the strimmer and destroying everything. So whether it's a weed, whether it's actually the first shoots of a nice, I don't know, a, a strawberry plant or, or something else, um, I've actually, that's all I've put my hands to is going down there and destroying everything because really I don't know what I'm doing. And so it can be like that. I want you to think of like, what was it like if you are kind of engaged in something and your heart's not in it? Um, that's like the worst thing. I, I did that once as a running coach. I was um, coaching people and my heart had gone out of running and I felt like a real fraud. I, I, I kind of could tell them the stuff that I knew. I could show them practically what to do, but actually my heart wasn't in it and I knew it was wrong to be doing it. Another thing is like if you actually understand something in your head um, and you're inspired to do it, but you don't actually get on and put your hands to it. So your head and your heart are engaged, but your hands aren't. Actually, nothing ends up happening. You've just got lots of lofty ideas. You've got, you get really excited about things. Your heart's engaged, but you don't actually practically. Jesus says something about that, about those who love me, hear my words and put them into practice. Like we obey Jesus in what he says and what he says to do. And like, it could be like that in the garden. I could know a bit about plants. I could really believe in the allotment, but I haven't actually put my hands to it. That's the next step. And so what we see is, well, the other thing would be, what would it look like if I put my hands to lots of things? I'm getting involved and doing lots of stuff. My heart's really engaged. I believe in it, but I don't know what I'm doing. That's actually quite dangerous. You know, we see people that do that. They haven't got any methods or any practical ways of um, an intellectual way of doing anything. And they're running around actually just causing carnage because they've not thought through what they're doing. Their head's not engaged. And so what we want to do is we want to avoid any of these three missing. And we want to make sure that our head, our heart and our hands are all engaged in our sort of living out following Jesus in the way that we follow him, in the way that we're inspired by him, in the way that we are his hands and his feet. And so what I want you to do, just very quickly, I want you to think of how many disciples there were in the Bible. I'm going to give you a few seconds very quickly in your groups to think about that. And I want you to name their names. How many disciples are there that are named and what are their names? Okay, now, if you've done that little exercise, you'll realise that it was actually a bit of a trick question. Um, some of the answers that we got were 12 and lots, you know, as more people followed Jesus, there were many. Um, actually, in, in the Bible, we're told of the 12 disciples, we're given their names, but then we're told that there was a, uh, that there were the 72, and we're told of crowds that would often, some thousands of people that would go and listen to Jesus. And so what we're going to do, we're going to talk about the different spheres of discipleship that we see going on around Jesus' life. And what I want you to do is, as I'm teaching through these, really what I want you to do, I want you to think about where you might place yourself. And so there are five circles that I've drawn up on a board. And right in the middle, the middle center is a cross, and that represents Jesus. And some people are coming right from the periphery, the fifth circle out, and they're journeying towards Jesus with an arrow going inwards. And some are actually journeying away from Jesus um, they've, they've kind of got along to hear what he's got to say, but they're not interested and they're turning away. And what we're going to do, we're going to just unpack what each of these different circles getting closer and closer to what Jesus looks like and what it means. And as I teach through these, I want you to think that what, what's the one that I most closely identify with? And then secondly, actually, where would I like to be? And so it might be that you would identify about being quite far from Jesus, but you'd like to be closer or actually that you're quite close and maybe you're drifting backwards. 
Um, and so as I'm teaching you, you, hopefully you'll be able to position yourself somewhere, whether you're a believer here or not, whether this is the first time that you've heard about Jesus or not, hopefully you'll be able to identify somewhere whereabouts you are. Okay, and so when someone says this Jesus' disciples, we often think of the 12, and the truth is that Jesus had thousands of disciples. Um, over time, that group began to grow and diversify, and um, there, there were like these different five spheres that we were talking about. And the first one, which is the fifth ring away from Jesus, the, the furthest one is curious follower, followers. So Jesus had thousands of people that would often walk out into the wilderness. They heard things that Jesus had been involved in, particularly the wedding at Cana was one where it says that when Jesus turned the water into wine, many people believed, disciples believed. At that point, people started to follow him. But there were others who started to go out into the wilderness to listen to what he had to say. And one of the things is in John 6, Jesus says directly to the disciples, he says, The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled him. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so we see these two different dynamics. One at the wedding at Cana where people see a miracle, they observe something, they're up close and personal to Jesus. And that causes them to become his disciples. They start to follow him. And then there are those who have kind of heard the words of Jesus and they're just too much for them. Um, And they, they can't. They can't kind of give their life to to those words. Just the cost is too high. And so they start to turn away intentionally from Jesus. And so we see people journeying closer to Jesus from the edge and people walking away from Jesus. And one of the interesting things is we don't see Jesus running around on the periphery, trying to draw everyone closer in that's moving further away. Actually, what we see him doing is just kind of making the call and letting people make the decision themselves. Um, I don't know about you, I, I, I get a very heavy heart. Some of my family aren't believers and I've shared the gospel with them. And historically, I'd, I'd felt a very heavy weight of my personal responsibility for those family members, dear people that I love dearly, finding faith in Jesus. And, and quite recently, actually, the last sort of six months, I've found a real liberty that actually, if I look at Jesus and the way that he, he deals with people here, the way he calls them to faithfulness, and what he does afterwards is actually if God is responsible for people's hearts. It's not my responsibility for my family's heart. Um, obviously, I need to love them and be a good witness to them. But actually, God is responsible for their response. And they're not rejecting me when they reject Jesus. They're actually rejecting Jesus himself. And so they might be rejecting the words that I'm offering them, but they're not actually rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus. And I'm to basically entrust those people to God in prayer. That's the right and the appropriate response. And so this is the first crowd, like the, the, the first ring. It's like the, the curious followers. The next ring in, the fourth ring in, these are the believing disciples. And so Jesus had thousands of people who go out in the wilderness, listen to his teachings, um, and they became true disciples. A number of years later, the residents of Antioch began to call these disciples Christians. And the name kind of has stuck since then. Like Ian's is like... My brother's name's Ian, actually, but they're not all like my brother. But Ian's is like little um, and then Christ. So these people are like little Christs, Christians, little Jesuses. Uh, It's a beautiful picture. And um, so from this, we can see that there are these believing disciples, people who are 
They've given their life to Jesus, much like a guy in our church who, who heard the gospel through the method of the three circles, um, that we live in a broken world, that Jesus came to die on the cross to deal with our sin. And by doing that, we can return to a perfect relationship with the Father. The reason that we use that as a method is because we see it in Luke 10. It's not just some clever thing that we've thought up. We've copied it from some other people. And actually, we see in Luke 10 where Jesus sends out the 72 and he tells them, go out in pairs, share the gospel with people, look for people of peace. Um, if your peace rests on them, stay there. It's like very simple, clear instructions. Um, and that's what we're trying to replicate as a church is a simple way that we can reproduce in the life of others in how we lead people to Jesus. And then when people put their faith in Jesus, the next thing that we uh, like we see in the Bible in Acts 2 is that when people believe, they're then baptized. So they repent and they're baptized and they receive the spirit and then they're added into community. And they likewise are then sent out in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what we believe in. Um, and that's what we see. This next crowd of people that have given themselves to Jesus through baptism. They've made the commitment, bowed the knee to Jesus as king of their life. Um, and now they're living for Jesus. And so some of you in the room, you may identify as those. You're not a part of the crowd that are looking in, but don't want to follow closely to Jesus, but you're interested in what he's got to say. Or you might be those who are thinking, actually, yeah, I, I want to commit to Jesus. I'm moving from the outside a bit closer and I need to repent and I need to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. I, I see that and I identify with that and I'd like that. And, uh, and if you're part of that crowd in this room, we'd love to speak to you. The next circle in is the 72 and so Jesus sent these people out ahead of them in Luke 10 in twos to do uh, basically preparatory. Is that the right word? I don't know what word it is. But he sent them out ahead of them to basically say that he was on his way. And so people went out into the towns ahead of Jesus and said, the king is coming. We're proclaiming that he's coming. Um, do you want to know him? Basically, that was the message. Uh, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. And, um, and after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And so these are people who they've given their life to Jesus. They're part of that. The disciples, uh, they're, part, they're believers and they've actually now entered into the mission of God. They've entered into the Great Commission. They're, they're going to make Jesus known in the world. Um, they get kind of getting an understanding of who they are in Jesus's family, who they are the authority that they've been given. Uh, this is really, really exciting. This is when people start getting mobilized to mission. Uh, we've had Dave Barham, who's come to be with us from Relational Mission a few times, really stirring us up into going out, sharing the three circles. That's the way that we're going to start to outwork some of this in the days ahead. Uh, one of the things particularly I'm really keen about is from September onwards is that we would start to prioritize this going out in twos to make Jesus known. That actually, there's a real grace on us as we begin to do that. We're not gathering for ourselves. Like, I'm really thankful. I look back over the last year and we've grown from a family of five and our dog who moved to sit and born in faith based on the promises of God. And now we look and we see a community of maybe 25, 30 people when you count those who are here from time to time. And, um, and we're all on different places. We're all kind of journeying closer or further away from Jesus. And I think there's this real sense that God wants to galvanize us, not just for ourselves and our own relationships, but also for the mission that he's got for us here in Sittingbourne and out to the nations, wider Kent, all of the UK, and then into Europe and further beyond. And, um, and we really feel like that's a part of what God's promised us moving forward. And we're to start with where we're at, which is, I don't know, building the community that we've got, really. And then from there, trusting him that he's going to add more and other people to us and that we're to give ourselves away for his kingdom. And as we do that, more life will come. And so you might identify as someone who's starting to believe Jesus for his promises, step out in faith, sharing the gospel, making Jesus known 
in your workplace, maybe going out in a practical way, just sharing the three circles with us on the high street, or actually just beginning to share your your story with neighbours and friends and family, that's really exciting. And if you're maybe looking in at that and think, I'd love to do that, but I don't know where to start. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're, you're scared of like what persecution might look like if people reject that message. What would that look like at work? Then we'd love to just meet with you, pray with you, connect you with some others that can encourage you in that. Um, I think like just to be like hand on heart for our, um, I guess, I, so many of you know I was at Cornerstone City Church for a number of years. Our family were there and I was an elder for about the last five, six years. I was on staff with Adam as well, who was a, a lead elder there, Adam Vogt, not Adam Gregory. And the, the thing that happened there was the church had grown massively to about 250, maybe 300 people. And we only had three elders, two of whom were full time, one who was like in the workplace. And, you know, like I can only really know meaningfully about 80 people at a time. And so when you start thinking of like a church of 300, already we were 100% beyond our ability to be able to know everyone. And I went on a sabbatical already. Our family was feeling the pull of kind of the, the pressure of being an elder, pastorally knowing everyone, like being someone of prayer, praying for the community. And I was starting to feel like a bad elder. There are people in this church I don't know. We're not caring for these people in the way that we should be caring for them. We've not got more elders. It's not all about elders, but we need to reproduce um, that office within the church to make sure that we were spiritually covering all the bases and when I came back from sabbatical the church had grown even more and I was like wow I just can't I, I, I'm not sure I, I can function in that role before God with integrity because I know I'm not actually meeting those marks and so hand on heart I don't think I should be an elder anymore um, and then thankfully in that moment God spoke to us about starting something new um, and maybe being a little bit more aware from the offset what God was calling us to do and to build ahead of time. And so it's not all about elders, but one of the things I want to talk to you about is as we grow as a church, what would it look like? We're already about 25, 30 people. If over this next year, each one of us led someone to Jesus, we would double. We'd become 60 people. And then within another year, everyone then again led one person to Jesus. To Jesus. All of a sudden, we'd be 120 people. Uh, the, the the coffee shop that we meet in at Costa's, we wouldn't all be able to get in there. If we squeezed everyone in, we could maybe get 80 people in here. And so all of a sudden, there are things that we need to prepare ahead of time with that being the view that maybe what would it look like if God graced us? Just with one person a year each, I think we could maybe, you know, I think we're pitching quite low with that. But what would that look like if we doubled and doubled? Um, you know, what do we need to put into place now so that in two years time, we're not kind of floundering and running around and pulling our hair out well some of the things will look, look like we need to start preparing people for governmental leadership roles we need to start raising up elders we need to start thinking about appointing deacons not tomorrow but we'll start working in the background we've, we've already started to forge a bit of a core team soon we're going to become a charity we've already sent the paperwork off for that so already we're ahead of time thinking developmentally where is God taking us what do we need to do to prepare ourselves? To not do that would be negligent. And so the challenge is, is if everyone thinks that um, myself or maybe, um, I don't know, Lizzie Gregory or Natalie or Jonathan Butson, whoever it might be, if, if, if each of us thinks that this person has got to basically be my best friend for the whole journey of Hope Church sitting born, soon as we get to 120 people in two years time, if we get there, um, 
I can't service all those relationships. No one, none of us in this room could service all those relationships meaningfully. And the church would never grow. Lots of people will get disenfranchised. They'll, because we'll all have a, a, a wrong understanding of how the community should work. And so I want you to think of where we're each sitting. Imagine if we had a ball of wool and we each held a bit of it and we made like a web between ourselves, passing it from person to person till everyone had a bit of it. We've done this in youth groups before in our previous church. All of a sudden you see what it looks like to have a community of people who are all connected to one another, not all just connected to one person. That's not right. That's not healthy. But actually, we've all got our own relationships. And so if one of us journeys out of the community, if one of us is sent off, if uh, the worst happens and one of us decides to leave because we've lost our faith, actually, it's not all hinged on one individual. You can take one individual out and the community still thrives because fundamentally at the very heart of it is Jesus. And we're all trying to inch closer towards him. And so just to let you know, in the background, there are some conversations and some things happening that you might get little snippets of every now and then where like Natalie and myself and some of the core team and those that are supporting us from our support team are just looking at what might the future look like as we begin to plan for, for the future, as we begin to like look at people for, for being deacons. We entrust people with different responsibilities to see how they get on. We give different people opportunities to lead and to preach and to gather and to, to kind of lead mission um, in the community in both on a Sunday and other settings. And then we just see where we end up. There's no promises about anyone being anything there's we're not making any statements about that but actually what does it look like if we all start intentionally putting our hand to the plow like the 72 did that's exciting so there's that ring there then the next group is the 12 and so many of you when we asked how many disciples were there you know you'd have you'd have said oh there were 12 there were 12 disciples and so Jesus committed himself to being a mentor to 12 men for three years. That's what we see in the New Testament. There were the 12 disciples. I won't go through their names because I'm not sure I do very well at reeling them all off. But we see that for three years, he gave himself to this community, a bunch of people that really shouldn't have been hanging around together. There were were fishermen, tax collectors on the periphery of that. There were prostitutes, all sorts of different people, Sumerians. And it was a bit of a ragtag bunch. But the very, very 12 who were sort of in and around his community... Um, It says in Mark 3 that he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. In Luke 9, it says that when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so one of the things I want to argue or promote from this text is actually the closer you start getting to Jesus. These 12, they understood the authority they had in him and they moved in it. So the 72, they went out as heralds and they talked about the king that was coming and they opened up communities. But then those who seemed to come in afterwards, they they were delivering people of spirits. They were doing. And I would say that we all have that authority. We're all ambassadors that we've all been sent into the world. We're all part of the family of God. The spirit dwells in us richly. We have every spiritual blessing. God's given us all we need to do the job. But those who are closer to Jesus understand who they are and that's why they're journeying closer to him. And so what I want to encourage you is if you're on the periphery looking in, if you can nussle in through the crowd and get closer to Jesus, you're probably going to get more of an understanding of who you are in him, not just in your head, but also in your heart. And that as you begin to put your hands to the things that he's inviting you to do, rather than just listening and maybe getting inspired, what you're going to find is you start to look a lot more like him, that you literally become his hands and his feet in a broken world and you bring healing everywhere you go. 
And so one of the things I really want to promote is that when we pray for someone and we don't see breakthrough, it's never the problem of the person that we're praying for. Yeah, they may need to repent or they may may need to um, ask for forgiveness for things. But actually, fundamentally, everywhere Jesus went, he healed people. If Jesus was the one doing the prayer, if Jesus was the one laying on hands, the chances are those people would get prayed for. There's only one instance where Jesus prays for someone and then they can't completely see, but they're kind of half healed and then he carries on praying for them and then their blindness lifts. And then rather than seeing people like the shadowy trees, they then see them in the right light, in the light of day. And so Jesus has the authority and, and the ability to heal completely. And when we understand who we are in him, I believe actually we're able to move in that same power. That's what these verses say. I'm going to read it again. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so these people know something of the kingdom of God that maybe the 72 weren't as, I don't know, able to communicate or converse um, or share with people. These people went out and they talked about that Jesus was coming, um, but then there was something that came after that. And so I just think there's something in that. And so if we're getting closer and closer to Jesus, I think we understand more and more who we are in him and the authority that he's given us. And then right at the very, very epicenter, we see the inner three. We see the three that Jesus called to himself. Jesus seemed to draw Peter, James and John. James was his little brother, his half-brother, um, and he, he drew them into discussions and relationships that the others weren't privy to. And sometimes I read that and I think, is that a little bit unfair? But that's just the, the nature of the reality. Jesus entrusted to those people like a deeper degree of understanding than maybe he did to some of the others. And so for just like a few little instances, Jesus asked these three to come along with him when he healed Jairus' daughter. We see that in the New Testament um, actually, we see that in Mark 5, verse 37. Um, and then the real, the one that I, I really love is when he he was transfigured. So Jesus goes on a walk up a mountain. He says, come on, guys, you come with me, Peter, James and John. They go up the mountain with him. And they're just having this great, amazing walk. He's probably teaching them about some things. It's really cool. They're hanging out. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment uh, where what one preacher calls is like Jesus basically becomes like a power ranger. You know, like all of a sudden he's changed, he's transfigured. It's like all of a sudden they see him in his glory as he is as a heavenly king. The veil is lifted, there's light shining out of him, it's fire in his eyes, and they see, like Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6, where it's like, Whoa, this is too much, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. They see Jesus as he is, the high king of heaven, the king of kings, ruling and reigning above all the nations, and they get a glimpse of that, that the others, no one else has seen that. And what must that do to you when you see that? Like, wow, the fire that must have put in their heart, the understanding that must have put in their heads and the way that must have caused their hands to go to the mission. All of a sudden, they're just caught up in something because they're so close to God. In fact, one of them actually wants to put a tent up in that place. And, um, and you know, like, and, and basically, you know, let's stay here. This is the coolest place there. And Jesus is like, no, it's not about this moment. Actually, I just need to show you who I am. It's amazing. And then the other image that he he allows the world, because of their proximity to him, these three, they actually see him in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with the imminent death that he's about to go through, where he's literally sweating blood because he's about to lay his life down for us on the cross so that we might enjoy resurrection life. And there's this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's wrongfully arrested where he's on his knees and he's pleading with God, take this cup away from me. But actually what happens is, these guys see that and they see something of the heart of God for the lost. 
They, they've observed something there that no one else got to observe and it's recorded for our benefit in the scriptures. And these guys, they go on to become the foundation of the church. Peter, James and John wrote most of the New Testament. Um, others did as well, but you know, like these guys, you know, like along with Paul, like the, you know, the foundation of the New Testament church, along with the other disciples. And so what I want to ask you, like Rick Warren, he talks about these different circles. He talks about the periphery being like the community, like Sittingbourne. Then there's the crowd, the congregation, the committed, and then the core right in the middle. And, and recently I've actually um, invited um, a, a, a few people in the church. So there's Adam and Lizzie Gregory and there's Jonathan and Teresa Butson. And we're forming a little bit of a core team where we're just kind of trying to really like discuss things around the church. Some of the pastoral things that are coming up. It's not an eldership. We're not talking about it like that, but this is just a core team where we're giving ourselves some of our time to pray and to consider where might God be taking our community we've also got trustees as we're beginning to set up a charity where we're managing kind of the resources um, some of the finances that are given so we can make good decisions around that legally um, so it's not necessarily a biblical function but actually stewardship is a biblical principle and so those people really are entrusted with the responsibility of us considering as a com- community how we rightly steward our resources and so that's a great thing. Um, and so you can see the church is beginning to grow. And I believe as we begin to lay this really strong organizational foundation, that actually as we give ourselves to mission, the people that get added in uh, will be a lot stronger for it because we'd have set our shop up rightly from the start. And so I firmly believe that that's what we're going after. Um, and we're, we're really, really excited about that. And so what I want you to, th- to think about is where would you put yourself on this kind of image here on the thing jesus at the center with the three right in the thick of it right in the core or right out on the periphery and so some of you well just take a moment where you are actually let's just think about that where would you say you are right now would you say you're moving closer towards god or drifting away maybe Um, and where would you like to be do you want to be journeying closer towards jesus knowing who you are in him the authority that he has given you as a child of God, as an ambassador of his kingdom? Do you want to be working and moving in that with other people? So obviously, like we can connect in. Like I feel a bit naughty, actually, because like you guys are part of the, the, the church. You're here on a Sunday, often here, connecting with us midweek. Um, and in many ways, the people that need to hear this message are those who are on the fringe, those who are just inquiring and listening of Jesus, and we're calling them to faithfulness into the centre. And so it's a miracle in our day and age that anyone's actually meeting in community at all. Everything in community, you know, in our world wars against community. And so the very fact that we're already gathering 30 people, 25, 30 people is amazing as a church. Um, And so really what I'm sort of saying is follow me as I follow Jesus. I want to press right into the thick of who Jesus is for my own life, for my family. Um, And would you come with me? Now, don't follow me where I'm not following Jesus, but follow me as I follow him. As we begin to understand what it is, the authority that he's entrusted to us so that we can um, heal the sick and raise the dead. Like it says, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I want that to be a marker of my life. I want that to be a marker of my children's life. I don't want to ever assume that or assume that it's just going to happen. We really need to give ourselves to a particular way of life to, to start seeing that sort of stuff happen. And so I'm just want to ask you, will you come with me on that journey? Um, I believe Jesus is calling us to that as a community. That's what it looks like. And for some of you, that's going to be a t- too, too big an ask. You're going to weigh it up and you're going to think that's too much for me. And I'm going to turn away and walk away. 
like the crowd did or there'll be others who think actually I'm going to just move one step closer to Jesus one step closer to Jesus and just see where I end up and so I just want to encourage you like in the quietness of your own heart wherever you are let's just do a little bit of business with God um, and just say God this is where I'm at right now I feel like I'm drifting or wherever you might, might feel you are and, and I'm finding my faith difficult or you know it's, there's these, these questions I've got help me to journey closer now the amazing thing is we don't all do that in isolation we're it's never meant to be about just us and God and like someone actually on this Sunday when I preached this message um, just earlier had identified that they felt like for the last six months they'd been drifting a little bit further away from God and they felt that maybe it would be helpful to have other believers near them that they could be accountable to that completely underlines my perspective on the fact that I cannot solely be responsible for everyone in this church. We need to raise out other men and women who are going to be responsible for people. And then we connect one another to one another. And so in these coming months, we're going to be looking for people that we believe that we can entrust responsibility to, to gather with three, four, five others. Um, And then over time, we're going to invest in these sort of relationships so that no one's overlooked so that you're known deeply as much as you want to be known, as much as you want to share with others, and so that we can all encourage one another closer towards Jesus. Because, you know, in a year's time, I'm going to be beyond capacity and being able to do... I don't think God's called us to that. I don't think he calls anyone to that. It's not about one leader running around after everyone um, as a paid pastor. I don't think that was ever the model. Um, I think, actually, it's not all about elders. And so it's not, well, let's just get three elders and they can run around and do all the work either. Actually, what we're looking at is connecting to one another so that we can all encourage one another on in our adventure of faith through through prayer and through mission and through looking at the word of God. That's really exciting. And I think that's where Jesus is taking us. And so if you're listening to this, this recording, I want you to think about where are you at right now? Where, how close are you to Jesus? Are you right at the back of the crowd, just barely able to hear what he's saying? Or are you right in the thick of it, seeing him changed and transfigured as the king over all creation um, and, and, and at work in the world? Um, and where would you like to be? And what do you need to do to get there? And who do you need to invite into your life to help you get there? And so um, I'm just going to pray whilst you think about that. And uh, hopefully you'll join me in this prayer as well. So yeah, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you invite us into relationship. You don't force us. You don't coerce us. But you invite us into deepening relationship and you give us the freedom to turn away. And Lord, I for one want to follow you wholeheartedly and I need help to do that. I need strong men and women in my life to help keep me on the straight and narrow. And Lord, I, I, I need to live with integrity and openness with other people and to entrust my life to them as they will to me. And so, Lord, help me to have healthy conversations with people in the coming days and weeks that will ultimately see my life changed and transformed for the glory of God and that I might be a blessing to other people that aren't yet part of this community. I might be a shining light in the world because I'm journeying closer to you in all that I do. Lord, I want to follow you. Help me to do that, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening and uh, we hope that you'll be able to tune in for the next podcast in our Disciples series.